Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. Writers Show is now in the air, spotlighted on BadRedHeadMedia.com as a top author podcast on the web today and called a total blast of a show for writers. My name is Robert Batista, and you may ask, why is the Funky Writers Show so terrific? Because I'm a writer, just like my guests, and know that words are the breath of life. Connect with the show on the exciting Twitter page by going to at the Funky Writer. We have a dynamite show with a very distinguished guest, author and publisher Tony Nesca. Welcome to the Funky Writer Show, Tony Nesca. Thank you, Robert. Nice to be here. Oh man, it's uh, really great having you, Tony. Tony. There's so much to this to discuss. Let's start at the beginning of the artist. When did the beat of the music start in you, and what was the first thing you did to scratch that itch? Um, well, I'm a musician turned writer. The first thing for me was I formed um, an alternative rock and roll band, sort of in late high school, like grade 12. And then when I turned the age of 19, we started playing local bars from the age of 19 to about 25, and, and small towns outside of Winnipeg as well. And slowly, we were an original band. I co-wrote all the songs with the singer. And slowly, as time went on, I started writing prose on the side, short stories, trying to write poetry, so on and so forth. And by the time I reached 25, I kind of got tired of the, the rock and roll world. I was doing it for a living. I was playing bars. And I enrolled in university, started studying literature. Not that university had an influence on me, because it didn't. But then I just kind of sort of traded my guitar in for one of those old Commodore 64s and started writing prose and poetry and eventually an awful. Legend has it that you taught yourself how to play guitar and formed a rock band, as you said. How long did it take you to learn how to play where you knew you were ready to play professionally? Well, I started playing at about 14 years old. 
right. you know, just listening to records, uh, picking up books. I remember I picked up one of those books from music stores that said learn how to play guitar on your own and learned the basic seven chords and then the augmentations and all of that. But I practiced even during all the wild and crazy party years that most teens do. I, I was very disciplined. I played four hours a day, four or five days a week. And at the age of 18, when we formed a band, we started playing house parties, and I didn't think that we were ready or I was ready, but by the time I was 19 years old when we did our first professional gig, I was full-blown ready to play, ready to perform. I had no problem with it. Full confidence, man. <laughs> I'm just curious, how does one actually form a rock band? Can you take us through the process of how the talent you auditioned made the cut? Well, it was easy with me because actually I formed it with friends who are also musicians. Um, we were a four-piece band, a guitar player, bass player, drummer, and a singer who didn't play any instruments. He just sang, wrote the lyrics, and he, he was a great front man. And myself, the singer, and the drummer were good friends. We'd known each other for most of our lives, actually. So we just had to audition for a bass player, and it was go from there. So to continue the narrative, at the age, as you said, of 27, you traded your guitar for a Commodore 64. <laughs> I remember that, man. Wow, that's going way back, Commodore 64. Um, and you started writing seriously. So what was it that you'd gone as what was it you'd gone as far as you could musically did did music no longer become fun or was the pull of creative writing just too strong well it was a combination of both um the performing and the sort of people in the music world even though we were you know very very low level just bar band we weren't even in the top tier because we were playing uh originals and at the time in the 80s you had to play top 40 to play the real top bars but um we had a following but i just got bored with performing and working with other people and i was always a huge reader and as i started reading more and more and discovering new literature i, I just got that bug i needed to do something else I, I still play guitar a lot like i still play every day and i'm recording songs but uh the writing bug took me over and there's i, I couldn't fight it Talk about, Tony, how you got your feet wet in the literary genres. What were some of your early writings about at the tender age of 27 and younger? I know you said you wrote prose and poetry, and can you remember some of your early writings? Oh, yeah, for sure. I um, Well, my first published work, I was 29, the first time that I published a chapbook. But like you said, I was uh, starting to write 26, 27 years old. Um, the thing that changed it all for me, uh, as a child, I was one of those guys, I read a lot of comic books and stuff like that. But then in my late teens and early 20s, I discovered one book, one writer and one book that really kind of spun my head around, and that was Henry Miller and his book Tropic of Cancer. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Almost oh, everybody yeah. is. But it just, it kind of, it kind of drove me crazy. I couldn't believe that somebody could write this kind of stuff, that sort of autobiographical fiction, which is what I do, is, you know, you base things on your life, but then you fictionalize them, you know, to make a good story. Right, right. So I, I started writing short stories and poems, one after the other, and the poems aren't traditional poetry at all. They're, they're just, you know, kind of street poems, stuff about people that I knew. I'd always hung out, you know, on a street corner, and even when I was going to university, I was always taking a bus downtown, going to those parts of town. And um, I finally put together a chapbook, you know, 40 pages, staples on the side, called Stale Anchovy Kisses. 
It's not a print. I still have the original, but I, I'm not going to print it up anymore. But, and it was just a collection of stories and poems. And at that time, there was no internet. Sent it away to magazines, and I got a good response. So I just continued from there. I never stopped. That was 1994. A true author pours his soul through his writings, similar to Miller in Tropic of Cancer, I would say. And I suspect a true musician does as well. So what are the similarities of being a musician and being a writer? And was the transition for you seamless, or were there bumps in the road in your early writings? It was actually uh, seamless, almost completely seamless. Um, the, the similarities are endless. I, I, was a, I was a guitar player, as I stated. As a lead guitar player, our band was alternative rock, but there was more... Uh, lead guitar work than is normal in that genre of music and I write also in a similar way a sort of spontaneous kind of you know when I would do I would never do the same lead every night like the band knew that there was a lead coming but it wasn't going to be the exact same one I always just did it on the spot and I kind of write the same way you know the poetry the short stories even my novels which are longer pieces um I have an idea in my head but I, I don't plan anything out. I, I only rewrite once. I have a, a method that I call the one rewrite method so that it, it, it always feels spontaneous. In the same way when I was playing in a band, we only rehearsed three times a week because I didn't want the band, I wanted us to be tight, but I didn't want it to come across as something completely rehearsed, you know, you're standing in the same spot, the same thing. And I want my writing to be the same. So for me anyways, uh, the transition from musician to writer was absolutely seamless. Tony, you have graciously agreed to read from one of your works for us. Can you set up the piece before you read it? Yes. I'm actually working on uh, my new book. is going to be a collection of short stories. It's coming out in, uh, I guess, I don't know, a month or two, something like that. And I'm going to read a portion of a short story, because the short story is too long to read the whole thing here. And this is going to be the first time that anybody hears this. <laughs> So it's on wow, Writer man, for the that first is so time. Cool. Great. <laughs> okay, here we go. This is called Gasoline Memories. In the 1920s, we had Louis Armstrong, Bessie Smith, Sidney Bechet, Hemingway Fitzgerald, and Speakeasies. What we got today, she said. Radio games, he said, as they sadly tuned their guitars. Didn't your papa ever teach you how to treat a girl, she said. No, but he kicked my ass day and night. Did you deserve it, she said. Sure did, he said, and a silence screamed and the devils roared. And I'm walking through the devil-infested streets, and all I see are lights, greasy and wanting, and all I see is violence and blood-red intentions, and all I see are the generals feasting on flesh. And there was an old friend of mine standing at a street corner with bag against telephone pole watching the cars go by and the lights from the liquor store, red, blue, purple, orange, and yellow. And it's metal to metal, striking that note just right. And that midnight craze is looking to fuck somebody up. But we stop, we talk, and we're not afraid, and we're even kind of bored feeling the end of something. I'm just bored with all of this, I say. He nods and smiles sadly. And I wave goodbye, and I see all the street junkies hobbling along with their toothless grins and their one-note thinking. And I see the young girls with sad smiles holding on to nothing at all. The predator's never far. And I think of losing her, suddenly in that tragic afternoon under the sun. Sometimes a nice car pulls up in the liquor store and the well-groomed move forward, their intentions and true meeting as rotten as everybody else's. And the bank accounts ring like a bell. And I think of the 1920s and Dixieland Jazz and Billie Holiday and sipping on a cold gin at a Parisian cafe 
while Picasso strolled by screaming something wild and crazy. And the young victims died in back alleys then, as they do now, and long as people are involved, the shit flows, and I need your love, baby. I need it every day and every night. But I see something else now. I see a movie theater with light bulbs shining on the edge of the billboard full of smiling ideas. And I see a late-night pizza joint with a small lineup of guys and gals laughing in the darkness. And I see a middle-aged couple kissing in front of a closed record store, and I think of good friends and screaming good times, and I'm talking about delightful moments everywhere all around. And right now, I don't hesitate to smile and to laugh and to feel all right. And the river ripples and the wind bright diamond flickers on its surface, opposite banks showing a few apartment buildings sprouting out from the ever-present green of the ever-present trees. A young woman jogs by, thighs jingling in a hot morning shadow. Old man walks slowly, leaning on cane, smiling lovely, his youth bubbling just on the, the surface. Between lips parted, he smokes and says goodbye, and the college students continued with their misguided learnings, and the proletarians can all kiss my ass, and the rejected rejects triumph once again, and above the skyscrapers, the superheroes continue their homoerotic wrestling. I shake God's hand and give him a wink. He winks back and smiles and scratches his ass. All my love to you, I say, and mine to you, he says, and he cranks the electric guitar and starts playing some rock and roll. And all across the universe and beyond and through the back alley love affairs and the switchblade mornings, the inside of my mind screams happy thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's that? Gasoline what? Gasoline memories. Gasoline memories, yeah. Yeah, man, I was fortunate. Fortunate. Yeah. yeah, I was with you there, man. I, I right on. It. So, <laughs> Tony, I want to talk now about okay. your soulmate and wife, Nicole yes. Isabella. Talk about the beginnings of your relationship and how it evolved. Well, it's quite interesting because we met because of writing. Um, there was this site 10 years ago called the Writer's Cafe. It was a place where uh, writers like myself that were publishing their own work could try to sell their books, and I was selling my books through it. And other writers could just put their poetry on there. You could come and you can meet people. And we discovered each other on there. Um, she had some poetry on, and she had written in comments that she was in the process of, of thinking of publishing a first book of poetry and stuff like that. We connected. We started talking, and we started a correspondence. Uh, she bought a few of my books. You know, we, we started commenting on each other's writing. And as the time went on, we fell for each other's writing immediately. Then we fell for each other long distance, <laughs> <laughs> you know. But this is the, the magic of writing. It was all through our writing, you know. Like I fell in love with her writing and she fell in love with mine. And it continues through there. Then we, you know, we kind of met, went on, and she moved to Canada and we got married. And she joined Screaming Skull Press and we published her first book of poetry under the name Screaming Skull Press. Wow, sounds like, uh, what was that old uh, great classic book, The Barretts of Wimple Street, where they fell in love with corresponding with each other? I know the story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, you know, it's it's a romanticized version of that, just more yeah. modern day, but uh, that's so cool. Tony, in researching this show, I came across an article on the Straight No Chaser website from 2015, headlined, Searching for Rebellion, two indie authors form Edgy Publishing Company. The piece opens with, Tony Nesca and Nicole I. Nesca have one question. 
Where have all the fearless artists gone, unable to find a mainstream publishing outfit that suited their taste for grittier writing, the Nescas formed their own Screaming Skull Press. Reading this, Tony, the key words fearless artists and grittier writing jump out at me. Why is fearlessness and grit so important, and why the name Screaming Skull? Well, the fearlessness and grit, what I mean by that is we're drowning, and we have been for a good 10 years in genre fiction. Um, you know, vampires, zombies, all that stuff. And by no means am I saying that Werewolves. It <laughs> Werewolves, you know, detectives, spy thrillers, action movies, and on, and superheroes. And yeah, I'm not saying that that shouldn't exist. Everybody wants to just get their kicks, but it's completely dominated everything in movies and in books. Um, that's part of the fearlessness meaning. Like, what happened to the modern day, as we said, like the modern day Henry Millers? Uh, the modern day Anais Nins, the modern day Dorothy Parkers, where are they? The ones that, you know, that write straight from the guts, that, that aren't, you know, using traditional methods of writing, beginning, middle, end, plot. You know, people that write how maybe you would paint, like how Jackson Pollock would paint, or, you know, somebody who just, and they're not afraid to, to say what they mean, you know, writing about people and society. That's what I mean about the fearlessness. Um, the Screaming Skull Press as a title, that's not as interesting because I'll be completely honest with you, Robert. <laughs> I was in my 20s. I was writing, about to publish my first book, and I just, through my mind, I was just thinking of names that would sound cool for a press. You know, you don't want to put out something published by me. <laughs> so I was just thinking of a name, and I was, you know, putting things together, Junkyard Press, uh, Box Dog Press, blah, blah, and Screaming Skull sounded, you know, like a rebellious, you know, rock and roll and screaming my skull out, so that's how that came out. I just thought it sounded cool. And <laughs> well, it does grab your attention, Tony, immediately. Uh, Tony, the press is often described as rebellious and spontaneous. Tell us why those two descriptors are so important to your work. Yeah, the rebellion is twofold. Um, it's a rebellion, as I just stated, against the mainstream. Um, I, I, I haven't said it yet, but before I decided to publish my own stuff, I spent a good year and a half sending stuff away to publishers. And from their response, the ones that did response, I could tell immediately nobody, the mainstream publisher are not going to touch the way I write. Nicole felt the same years later on when, when we joined forces. But, so the rebellion is, is that against the mainstream publishing companies – one fold, and the other side is it's also rebellious against society. It's a counterculture thing, like like the beat writers did in the 50s, like the hippies in the 60s, you know, you know, ranting and raging against everybody doing the same thing, everybody going to work, everybody coming home, you know, the, re the repetition of daily life that, that our society forces us to do. Um, and the spontaneous part is, is the fact that coincidentally, Nicole also writes... Um, with the same method as I do, although her final product is, is quite different from mine, but in that way that you don't plan much. Um, my novel, for example, about a girl, I mean, I have six novels out of the 16 books that I, I read, and I don't plan any plot. I just sort of think of something that struck me in my life, either something I experienced or a story somebody tells me, or, and then I just start. And I let right. it go, and it's, and it's spontaneous, and the writing comes down, and page after page, and I just, like, about a girl, my novel took me seven weeks to write. And I did wow. one rewrite, and I published it. Yeah, my first novel, Dish Pig, I did in, in five weeks, and actually, Dish Pig is the only book of mine that I didn't do any corrections at all. It's actually a first draft. 
Um, Very interesting. Yeah, that's on purpose. I wanted it to be warts and all. I just wanted to properly do a, a you know stream of conscious, spontaneous prose book, put it out there and see how it comes along. And I've gotten great response from it. I'm I'm very happy with it. And the rest of my books I rewrite minimally. You know, not much. And Nicole is the same way. That's sort of what the spontaneous means. Staying with you and Nicole, uh, someone once said about this type of relationship, when two artists fuse together, it can be surreally magical. It seems that you and your wife have caught the proverbial lightning in a bottle, would you say? So far, so good, man. <laughs> um, for sure. It's, uh, you know, we have regular jobs obviously, which if any publisher is listening to me right now, I'd love to quit my job and be writing full-time. You know, send me a line out there, buddy. But uh, we have regular jobs, and we have a, a family. They're all grown up, though. So, yeah, we, we write, we work, we, you know, we have a good time. We live a quasi-bohemian mixed together, you know, with family lifestyle. And I, I would say, yeah, we, it's the genie in the bottle, man. We did it. Let's talk about Tony Nesca, the person, about your early years. We know you were born in Italy and spent a lot of time of your early years moving between there and Canada. What are your early recollections of this time in your childhood? Well, it's funny because to this day, I'm reluctant and hesitant to travel, because I, I, I'm the kind of person that makes friends very, very easy. And I, I was always very angry at my parents moving me back and forth because they moved me. I was three years old when they moved me here for the first time, stayed a couple of years. We moved back to Italy. This is my father just having the bug to, to be an adventure. Move back to Italy, stay for a year, and I'd make good friends there. Then they'd move me back. <laughs> so my memories of that part of it, the, the traveling back and forth, really annoying. To this day, I mean, I do travel. You know, we did a book signing in Minneapolis, blah, blah, but I'm not, I mean, I would never be that Jack Carrick type that, you know, travels across the country hitchhiking because, you know, it just bothers me because of what happened in my childhood. I guess it's stuck in my head. But my memories, most of anything, is that I'm bicultural. And I think that's a great bonus because a lot of my books, a lot of short stories in my books are also take place in Italy. Because I remember it vividly, I wasn't just a little kid. The last time I was living there, I did junior high school there. So, you know, inside the house, even when we were in Canada, it was 100% Italian, only Italian spoken, typical Italian family with grandmother, grandfather, you know, kids everywhere. But then when I walked out the door, it was Canada. You know, went to school, it was Canada. And it, it was a great, I'm, I'm very grateful to, to being raised bicultural that way. Sounds like it was very, very, very charming and eclectic. Um, I know you said you read a lot back then. What were some of the books and authors that inspired you in your youth? Well, as a kid, like a very small kid, seven years old, six years old, I read comic books. Um, but then as, as time went on, I started reading fantasy. I remember I was, I think, 10 years old when I read The Hobbit from J.R.R. Tolkien, and I really liked that stuff. But there was no, none of that inspired me to want to write or anything. The real writing thing came, as I said, in, in my late teens, early 20s. I discovered Henry Miller and, and, and the beat writers and, and uh, you know, D.H. Lawrence. And James Joyce was a big influence. The influences for my writing came more from my late teens, early 20s. I'd like to talk about 
and shifting gears, the 1,000-pound elephant in the room, book marketing. So many authors are great writers but terrible at marketing. How do you handle the marketing of your books? Well, I'm glad you asked that. That's it's as any self-publisher knows, any indie writer knows. That's a really, really difficult thing to do. Um, it's really hit and miss. Uh, I have huge complaints the way radio stations, magazines, media in general are just completely reluctant to take on, you know, anybody that isn't published by a traditional publisher. I think that's changing because of the internet and social media. I think that perhaps, and I hope that. The, the traditional publishers are understanding that there are, you know, a lot of really good writers just sitting in their basement writing, and all they need is, is an opportunity. Um, marketing, the way we do it, we have had, we've had agents throughout the years. We've hired publicists short-term, for example. Uh, we hire a publicist, and that's who got us a gig in Minneapolis to go to a bookstore and do a book signing for um, an entire weekend, and we had after that, we hired another short-term publicist who sent us to a couple of poetry readings in Winnipeg, where I live, and in a town just outside of Winnipeg called Gimli. And, um, you know, basically we do it all ourselves, but Robert, I'll be completely honest, it's really, really difficult. I, I could, wouldn't even begin to know how to give advice to somebody except for to say to use social media to your best advantage. If you can afford an honest agent and publicist, go for it. Let's talk social media. Um, I know you're on Twitter and probably Facebook and such. Um, Of the social media platforms, which one do you feel is the most beneficial for your brand? And which, in your estimation, Tony, is the best for authors? Or does each platform offer its own special compensations? Um, We only use Twitter and Facebook. But I find that Twitter has definitely worked marvels for us. Um, there was a part of Screen Skull Press with Nicole and myself where we kind of rejected social media for the first four or five years. We just it, it was it's just such narcissism. Everybody trying to be famous. We thought we'll try to do it the old way. We resisted. We resisted, and it just you know. In this day and age without social media, basically, if you're trying to be some kind of creative talent, nobody will know you without it. So, again, here comes in the publicist. We hired a a publicist from Toronto, Canada. He hooked us up with Twitter and Facebook. He actually designed those pages for us, and this was only last September. So it's only been, I guess, what, six months, seven months since we've been on Twitter and Facebook, believe it or not. And honestly, I can say that our books have doubled in sales almost entirely from Twitter alone. So in our experience, Twitter has been definitely, I mean, a lifesaver. It's definitely kept us going, you know. I have a a question I feel is very, very pertinent for you, Tony. What has had the greatest influence on your work? Um, Well, playing in a band playing music has definitely been a gigantic influence. As I said earlier, I was a lead guitar player, and there was a lot of lead guitar work and a lot of jamming in our band, and I write in that same way. Every time I'm writing, I'm hearing the sort of musical note, and if you read any one of my works, I don't know if I, if I did a good job of reading it but uh, earlier on, but if you read it yourself, you, you will find your eyes, and this is purposeful on my part, you'll find your eyes gliding down the page, you know, like like as if it's a musical, like you're reading musical notes. 
so playing in that band was unbelievable, for lack of a better word, training to later become the kind of writer that, that I have become. And again, discovering that tradition of writing, I guess you could say that I write in, the Henry Millers, the, you know, the Jack Kerouacs, the Hunter S. Thompson, those types, has definitely been um, the biggest influence in my life. And Nicole's biggest influence are, are the musician poets, the Bob Dylans, the John Lennons, that kind of stuff. So music is top and foremost. You know, Tony, uh, getting back to uh, the other question, you know, you, you look at the movies and Netflix and videos, and, you know, so much of them are formulaic. Um, and as you're saying now, um, book writing and authoring and books that are come out, coming out are all basically formulaic also. So I'm curious, just like you are, where have all the fearless artists and writers gone? Uh, you know, I don't know. I know that I've discovered some through Twitter and um, and Facebook in the last three or four months, self-published like myself, uh, uh, a guy called Ted Procrash, and I think he's from Milwaukee, another guy called G.H. Neal in England. Like, there's a few sort of doing it on their own, but as far as the world knows, people that, that everybody can just sort of go to the bookstore and grab a book off the, off the shelf. I, I have no idea, Robert. I, I don't know what happened to the society. Me and Nicole keep on saying, when did this happen? I mean, what is the modern-day equivalent of James Joyce? There isn't any. You know, or of a Even nice John thing. Steinbeck. Or John Steinbeck, absolutely. John Samuel Beckett. You know, uh, Truman Capote. Like, where are they? What has happened? Uh, we're hoping that there's a revolution going on <laughs> somewhere underground. I, I get a sense that perhaps it is. We're hoping that we're at the forefront of it um, without sounding conceited, <laughs> but I'm hoping <laughs> it'll catch on. <laughs> Tony, in closing, what's next for you? What's next for Tony Nesker? What other irons do you have in the fire coming up? I have, as I mentioned earlier, a collection of short stories coming up. Um, should be done within a month or two. I'm also, I've recorded three songs. I've written and recorded three songs. I have one of those home portable recording units. I, I played all the instruments on it. I just need a singer because I can't sing, but I'd like to put out like an album. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to put out a CD or something, you know, maybe next year. But uh, right now immediately is a collection of short stories. And Nicole is working on her first novel. Excellent. So uh, give out your contact information, how people can contact you, your, in, your, uh, your internet uh, websites, and uh, any way they can follow you. Okay. You can get all information at our website, ScreamingSkullPress.com. Uh, Screaming Skull Press is one word. Uh, we're also on Amazon, and if you type Tony Nesca, Nicole Nesca in, in Google, we pop up in a million different places. You can also order our we, – we have a distributor. You can order our books from any bookstore in the world. But our preferred method is off our site with PayPal. It's the cheapest for people who want to buy our books as well, and all contact information is on there, ScreamingSkullPress.com. This has been the Funky Writers Show with me, Robert Batista. I'm at, at author R. Batista on Twitter. Look for my free short stories, Carmela's Dream and My Baby Has No Name on Smashwords.com. My guest has been the author, publisher, musician, and so much more, Tony Nesca. And his publishing company is called Screaming Skull Press. Thank you so much, Tony, for being a guest on the Funky Writers Show. Thank you very much, Robert. 
had a ball. Take care, Tony. You too. Bye-bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.